Vesafna, and their son, Kamal, is a minister with the Presbyterian Church. Can I get you to welcome Patricia Wirakun today? Thank you for coming. How long have we got? About 40 minutes? Thank you very much. Is he all right, the sound? Thank you very much. It's really, really great to be here with you. Where else would you want to be on a Saturday morning than in manly, blue skies, winter morning, talking about sex? What could be better? Okay. Well, parents, aunties, uncles, I think we have to start undressing. You know, music, please. Just one or both? Just one. <laughs> <laughs> Stop there, he says. I was just getting into the mood, you know. I even had the scarf to do that. Okay, now that we've broken the ice, so we're going to talk about for you parents, you aunties, you uncles, you know, even if you don't have a teenager in your life, as members of a church, every one of us, is responsible for the youth. We can't get away from it. We are responsible for our children. So I hope you will listen with that frame of mind that today we are going to talk about our children and sexuality and sex education in this world in which they live. So, your kids grow while in a blink of an eye. That little one crawling down the pew, before you know what's happening, is going to be a teenager. This is what happens. So don't wait till it's too late. Somewhere, very quickly, your little kids, your little boy or girl, will be moving from cookies and biscuits to lattes and cappuccinos. It happens very quickly. What is the most important thing? The most important thing your children, our children need is to learn early, very early, that they have a firm foundation in their identity in Christ. Sex is a gift and a blessing from God. And God gives us this gift and blessing with a book, a user manual. And the kids need to know that. Our children need to know that early, that this gift and blessing is best used and has, gives us the best health and best use when used according to the pattern that God has given us. You see, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So children need to know they are created in the image of God. They need to know that they are loved beyond all measure, loved by you as a parent, as a church, but also loved by God. And that the Trinity which created them is relational. And this relational aspect is best seen in the family environment in which they grow. So God created male and female. Kids need to learn early that they are embodied, they are created with bodies, male and female. They are different but yet important and complementary. In our fallen world, and we'll talk about this later, they will see every variation possible of gender. But they need to learn from you that there is male and female, dad and mom, and there are roles that are complementary and so beautiful as God created. And then we see that God gave man and woman, Adam and Eve, the command to be fruitful and multiply. Their bodies, our sexual natures, we have a capacity for sexual pleasure that is both a gift and a blessing and ultimately to be used to God's glory. 
You know, ladies and gentlemen, we need to get this message to our children. The message that God looked on Adam and Eve, his perfect creation, and said, this is so good. In fact, it is worth like a thousand, five hundred, one million likes. This is perfect. And I put it to you that firstly, before we get it to our children, we need to believe that this is truly what we believe sex is. We need to understand that sex is a gift and a blessing. Parenting is an awesome responsibility. And the Bible tells us so. We can go right back to Deuteronomy. And we see, you know, what they said in what we learned in Deuteronomy is just as relevant to us today. See, in Deuteronomy, when we say fix these, when we read, fix these words of mine in your hearts, teach them to your children. Talk when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down. Translate. You know, when you're driving your kids to school, you know, when you stopped in the traffic lights, when they ask you that really sort of hard question just as you're turning into school, like, you know, Mom, do Dad and you use condoms? You know, just as you're turning into school, those hard questions. Be ready. Know God's way. Teach and repeat. Never be ashamed. We are Christians. We stand on God's word. Never be ashamed of the fact that we are the image bearers. And in that image bearing, we are embodied as male, female, sexual beings. Ephesians says, do not exasperate your children. Very good bit of advice. But it says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This training and instruction I put to you, mums, dads, aunts, uncles, needs to start early and be continuous. Proverbs tells us, start children off early. Start them off when they are still very young. So, to do that, we're going to do a little exercise. You thought you were going to just sit back and listen, right? You're going to do a little bit of work. We're going to rate our own personal parenting style. In your handbook, I'm hoping, we have a point there that describes... Can I grab a handbook if there's someone got a handbook? Is the sound playing up? Is the sound playing up? Okay. Parenting, what is your style? Point three. So take a minute to rate your parenting style. So we have two axes there. Parental responsiveness is the extent to which parents respond to a child's need. Uh, how do you respond to your child's need? If, you, if you're not a parent, be a hypothetical parent. So look, one is low and ten is high. So rate yourself. What's your rating there? Here we have responsiveness on the vertical axis. Then think parental demand. This is about discipline, control. It is the extent to which you as a parent expect and demands responsible behavior. It's about setting and enforcing rules, limits, boundaries. So 30 seconds to think about your own parenting style. Okay? So, let's do a workout, a self-reflection there. Where did you fit? Now, you don't have to tell me. I'm not going to take sort of a show of hands here. But let's just evaluate our parenting style. Firstly, there is what we call the laid-back, anything-goes parenting. This is low demand and low responsiveness. Few demands of your children. Little communication. You know, you fulfill the child's basic needs. 
but sort of detached from their daily life. I don't speak French, but I think that's what's called the laissez-faire type of parenting. Letting them grow, letting them discover themselves, letting them explore their own personalities. Research tells us that these children tend to lack self-control, and they actually have a low self-esteem and are less competent than their peers. What about permissive parents? This is the low demand and high responsiveness. These are the ones that are generally nurturing and communicative with their children, often taking on the status of a friend more than a parent. The one who's sort of really friendly, you know, wants to be with the kids doing things, which is a good thing, but rather than a parent, be an equal. Rarely discipline their children because in a way, they don't have very high expectations of maturity and self-control. They don't really set boundaries of behavior because they don't demand anything or very little from their children. They're more responsive but not demanding. Interestingly, we learn from research that these children rank low in happiness and in self-regulation. These children are more likely to experience problems with authority and tend to perform poorly in school. What about the authoritarian parents, the high demand with low responsiveness? Unfortunately, many of the parents who come from our part of the world tend to fit into this category. Here, children are expected to follow the strict rules that parents set. Failure to follow such rules results in punishment. Parents fail to explain the reasoning behind the rules. Rather, it's about because I said so. You're doing it because I said so. They have high demands. You know, these are the kids who will be expected to get the 99.95 at the trials and the main HSC exams that are starting the day after tomorrow, probably. And these, they, they, they're not responsive, but they're demanding. Research shows us that generally these children, obedient, proficient, get the high scores, but they rank lower in happiness, social competence, and self-control. Finally, we have what we hope and pray every one of you will be, and that is what we call the authoritative parenting style. High demand, and high responsiveness. You establish rules and guidelines, and you expect your children to follow them. However, it is a democratic type of regulation that you set. Authoritative parents, please note different from authoritarian, authoritative parents are responsive to their children and willing to listen to questions. It's not because I say so. But let's actually look at what's happening. Let's talk about it. Let's watch this television show together and see why all your friends are watching it before we decide whether or not you're going to watch it. So you want to go with your friends to King's Cross this Saturday night. Let's sit down and look at, you know, why and what happens there. Let's look at some... Let's look through the Bible and see whether the kind of behaviors that we may be reading about there are what our God's Word tells us. These parents here, these children, will live to be kids who are used and accepting of the discipline because it is supportive rather than punitive. The discipline, the boundaries, these are the children who turn out to be happy, capable, and successful, which is really fascinating. Because in the Word of God, if we go back to what we looked at, you know, when we looked at awesome responsibility, and you look at the Bible's verses, and you look at what the Bible teaches us about parenting, it truly fits it into authoritative parenting. Isn't it amazing? We can look at the Word of God. We can look at science as we sexologists tend to spend most of our time doing, and we look at it and we see that's such a beautiful congruence between what now science is showing us and what the Word of God 
has recorded 2,000 years ago. And we think, why should we be amazed? This is the God who created the stars and named them. Of course, he knew what was best in terms of parenting and sex. But I want to put in a little proviso here, and that is, Whatever your parenting may be, there may be some people here who are sitting and thinking, but I tried, and still it is very hard. And that is so, because finally, you've done your part, but God is in charge. We look at Philippians 2, having spoken of living with the same mindset as Christ. Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. For it is God who works in your children. You have placed them in God's hands. In Psalms 139, you know, your eyes saw my unformed body while I was still knit in my mother's womb. So your children, when they were still knit in your womb, God knew them when you placed them in his hands. So once you have done your part, leave the rest to God in prayer. So, let's look at some key principles of sex education with children. Now, I'm going to do these just out of the necessity of time. These are here in your handout. I, put, I asked for the handout because I don't, didn't want you to feel that you have to copy down things. So, I'm going to just run through these fairly quickly if you want to make any notes. If you want any more information, maybe some of you want some references, please feel free to email me and I'll send them to you. Firstly, you, parents, aunties, uncles, are the principal sex educators of your children. You cannot abrogate the responsibility, not even to the church. Research tells us that the teenagers are asked, where would you like to get your sex education from, they say from our parents. When they are asked where do you actually get them from, girls say from magazines and friends, boys say from pornography. This is what the research is. You are the principal sex educator. Sex education is more than just sex. It is about character building. It is about teaching God's pattern for personal integrity and relational faithfulness. Remember what we talked about Genesis. God creates us for relationships. And we need to very early inculcate these principles, biblical principles in our children. And we'll be teasing these out in a little while as we do age-appropriate education. Sex education is caught and taught. Your behavior, mom, dad, auntie, uncle, members of the church, your behavior speaks more than your words. How do you treat others? How are you role modeling your relationship as husband and wife? You know when you hug your wife at the sink, kitchen sink, and your son or daughter goes, ew. All the while, the brain is actually recording. Oh, that's nice. They actually care enough to be intimate. So don't worry. You know, don't worry about them seeing you hugging or touching or kissing each other. It is okay. They do not get scarred for life. Do put a lock on your bedroom door. They still don't get scarred for life, but they may be a little confused. Because kids, even very young, can learn what privacy is. And having quality time as mom and dad, as those of you who are here for the couple's talk we discussed, is very important. But intimacy is good for them to see. Start early. It is never too early to be an authoritative parent. Never. And we'll come back to that. Sex is good. But we need to tell our children very early that sex being a good and wonderful gift 
and blessing from God, there's more to life than sex. You see, they live in a world, we live in a world, that tells us that sex is a need. It is a sec the secular world, the individualistic, hedonistic world in which we live, tells us and our children that sex is something we must have. It is natural. Do it. It is your right to explore. Our children are told and we are told. We need to be telling our children that sex is a gift and a blessing among the many, many other blessings that our good and gracious God has given us. I tell teenagers that I've been a doctor now for 30 plus years. I have seen people die of lack of food, lack of medicine, exposure, many other things. Never seen one die of lack of sex. No recorded case of a death certificate that said lack, lack of sex killed him. Doesn't happen. So talk to your children. Tell them it's okay, you know, not to have sex. Nothing will happen. Their penises will not shrivel and drop. It, it is okay. Finally, it is important to, for your children and for you to know that if something happens, we worship a God who redeems and forgives. And God can heal anything. Because let's face it, in the world today, the most, the most wonderfully brought up children in the church, brought up with prayer, brought up in the Christian way, sometimes things go wrong. And we need to remember that as in 1 John 2, uh, we read, you know, anybody sins, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father. And so keep that also in your mind. There may be someone here who's, who's worried about a child and something that's happening. Pray and talk to them and take it to God because we do worship a redeeming and forgiving God. Okay, now what I'm going to do is just do a walk through the lifespan, starting with little kids and talk about some issues and some topics of sex education. I am repeating to you that what we are doing is a real quickie through the lifespan. So if there's anyone here who wants more information, do feel free to contact me. Let's start with babies. Just a baby, we think. But we've got toys for our babies. Breath dolls that look very, very sexual. You see, the marketing is real womb to the tomb marketing. Research tells us that Children's brains, even when they are very, very young, are influenced by what's around them. So if we are feeding them sexualized images, very young, it's getting in their brain, wiring. And I put the other picture up, the boob t-shirts. Because it says something about the attitude of the parent who carries around a baby that says, I love big breasts, you know. It, it just says something about an attitude, a value system. And we need to be so aware of what our thoughts are. Because remember, what we say, how we behave is going to affect our children. So what do we do? Three to five years. Firstly, please be honest. Your children have penises and vulvas and vaginas. Not the same child, but they, boy, girl, they have genitals. Never be afraid to call a penis a penis. I had one mother who once told me that 
she did what I said, and she taught her children the correct word. Her son went to primary school, and he went to the in the play play yard. He he told one of the other kids, "I've got a penis." So the other kid went to the teacher, and the teacher calls the mother and said, "Your son said in public that he has a penis." And the mother said, "Oh, do the boy other boys have something else?" It is okay. It truly is okay because boys have penises, and so never be afraid to use the correct words for body parts. Little kids at that age can understand how babies get in and out of the mother's stomach. Please don't tell them they came out of the belly button. You know, you will have to re-explain that bit of anatomy later. It is okay. I mean, they say, oh, so. I came out of your bottom. Okay, fine. That's all they want to know. But be aware that you don't necessarily have to go into all the details. I mean, when your little girl or boy says, where do I come from? They may want to know, do I come from Sri Lanka or China? So just check what they want to know. You know, you do not have to go into a detailed anatomy of the uterus and the vagina. If really one they want to know was was I born in Sri Lanka, you know. So just be aware of it. Explain what's a boy, what's a girl. You know that there are differences and the behaviors are different and they play differently and it is okay. Describe private and public behavior. You know, mom and dad. If the door is closed, you knock. They they they're old enough to understand. And sadly, even at that young age. Teach children how to say no to unwanted touch and to be and to know a safe person whom they can talk to. This is sad that we have to do it at such a young age. Unfortunately, we do have to do it, so don't put it off. School days, five to eight. Look at that picture. That's a sales ad for a particular type of children's clothing line. Look at those expressions. Look at what it portrays of the girl looking into the camera, the sultry look of a child girl older than her six or seven years. The the posture of the boys turning away. Just just look at what that's portraying. What is it conveying to our children? This is what they're seeing. This is. This is the kind of early sexualization. They are old enough at that age. You're telling them Bible stories. The Bible is so full of sexual stories. You don't have to be reading them song of songs when they are five years old. But there's lots of family stories. There's lots of stories of babies and marriages. People knowing each other, so contextualize stories in families and babies. And tell them these. They tell them the word of God. Teach them how God's word works. How man, woman, they can understand the Genesis story. Tell them about male, female. How God made them. How they are so precious. Children this age can understand. That they are image bearers of the God who created the universe, and as image bearers, that they are so special. They need to know that they are special, and what makes them special is that they are Christians. Otherwise, the world will tell them that to be special, they have to do something like their body image or how they dress. Or that they're too fat, or they're too thin, or they're too fair, or too pimply, or something. You set their body image. You set their identity in Christ very securely at that early age. Then, of course, conception, pregnancy, childbirth. This seems young, but it is the time when we should be talking to them about male, female. And they are exposed to homosexuality at that age. It may surprise us. 
But when you talk to kids in school, seven, eight-year-old kids, they know what lesbian, gay, what these words mean. So they will ask you. It's in the television. They're watching television shows. So be ready to answer those questions and again continue with talking about sexual safety. Time for the talk. Is this the age of innocence? These are our little children. Ladies and gentlemen, the average age of first porn exposure in Australia is 9 to 11 years. This is Australian statistics. We hear primary school kids coming and talking to their parents about somebody on the phone. Kids carry their phones, showing them pictures of pornography in primary school. You have to be ready. You have to be ready to talk to them. Secondly, the age of puberty is dropping in both boys and girls. We don't quite know why. It may be nutrition. It may be you know, body fat levels. There's some research that shows that in girls who are in broken homes and the mother is with a man who is not a biological father, not the biological father, the age of puberty is lower. Not involved with any sexually inappropriate behavior. We don't know quite why. Probably something to do with the hormone changes. But the age of puberty is dropping. So these children need for you to talk to them. It's time for the heavy stuff. Puberty changes. You can't avoid. You've got to be ready to talk to them. What it feels like, what it does, what it means to be having those body and brain changes happening. They're beginning to feel sexual desire. They're beginning to be attracted. This is a time to make sure your kids understand that if they have a best friend, if they have even what they would interpret as a crush on another person of the same sex, they're, they're not lesbians or they're not gay. Because these are words that are being thrown around in the playground, even at this young age. So you need to be telling them it is okay to have non, non-sexual but really close, intimate friendships. This is the time when kids may, you might find them touching themselves, masturbating, and you have to open the discussion on masturbation. Is masturbation okay? Now somebody will ask me the question, so we might as well answer it up front. You know, kids, most boys find their penis very young. It's kind of rare. And so, you know, they find it, they sort of fiddle around and it feels good. So, of course, if it feels good, sends up your good feeling, endorphins and oxytocin, so they do it. So, it's about teaching your children, we're talking 9 to 11, but you probably even noticed it earlier, teaching them about appropriate and inappropriate behavior, private behavior, but telling them that this is, sex is something that God gives you to be saved, for that special act or that special person. It is a couple activity. And the problem with masturbation, and this is not just for any age group, the problem with masturbation is that it is a solo activity. It is something that pleases yourself. And that is not what sex was meant for. Children, even if they're 8 or 9, 10 or 11, are quite capable of understanding this aspect of sexuality and masturbation. So, our innocent pre-teens. Now, you may know that this wonderful crush-worthy band, the One Direction, apparently is touring again. But the last time they were here, there were pictures taken outside one of our studios, television studios, where they were performing. There were this big group of young girls, pre-teens, who were there. And this is from the news item the, the, day, the day after. Gone are the days of sobbing teenage girls holding up an innocent marry me sign. This morning, the crushworthy boy band was greeted by handmade banners bearing such slogans and declarations as do me in more than one direction. I'll give you one erection. Point your erection in my direction. This is pre-teenagers, our innocent young girls. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is a hard time. Pre-teens, the early teen time is a very difficult time for our young people today. You have to keep the conversation going. This is a time when it is extremely important that you be there to talk to them. You've got to be proactive. You've got to watch. Be there. Be aware of what they are watching on television. One of the most popular TV shows around Game of Thrones can, does border on pornography. There is a site on television that has 16 minutes of the sex scenes from Game of Thrones. And ladies and gentlemen, it is porn. It is pornography. And if your children are watching shows like that, you need to be aware that their brains are being affected by it. This is a time when young people are thinking of dating. And you need to understand and talk to them and tell them one of the things I tell young people when they ask me the famous question, how far is too far when we are dating? And one of the ways I describe to them is that, you know, when you start sexual intimacy when you're dating, it's like being on the on-ramp to the freeway. Please forget the way that our freeways are gridlocked. Imagine a freeway that's actually flowing at the speed limit, you know, one that's actually acting like a normal motorway or freeway. And so imagine a freeway and then imagine the on-ramp. And so when you start being sexually active, the freeway is marriage. When you're on the on-ramp and you're sexually active, you're heading in one direction. And that is towards consummation of your sexual activity. You're on the freeway on-ramp. You can't get off. It's pretty difficult unless you break down and move to the side. And kids need to recognize that. Because today's culture tells them, today's world, their friends, television, everything tells them it is okay. If it feels good, do it. And they must hear from you that the God intends sex for that wonderful relationship of marriage. Yes, desire you will feel, because that's your hormones. But God gives you self-control. If they need to hear it from you, they need to hear it from the parents first. The church can give them information and advice. Schools will give them the knowledge base. But the values, the attitudes, dear friends, parents, comes from you. And your values and attitudes must be spoken to the children. Moving into the teen years. Research, Australian research on more than 3,000 young people. Years to year 10 and 10 to 12, tells us that 80% are sexually active in some way. Of this 80%, about 80% are in deep kissing experience. For those of you who may not know, that is called being at first base. About two-thirds are at second base, so they're being touched or fingering is the word they would use and 50% would have given or received oral sex. Over 25% of all year 10 students and 50% of all year 12 students have had sexual intercourse. Now, one important point I want to tell you is look at this statistic again. 20% of the kids are not involved in any sexual activity. When I speak to young people, to teenagers, this is what I tell them. See, 20% are not. So when your children say everybody's doing it, guess what? Everybody's not doing it, whatever it may be. And when it comes to intercourse, like, look at that. 
75% of year 10s and 50% of year 12s haven't had sexual intercourse. Why not challenge your children to be that those children who are not sexually active? I challenge our teenagers that they are the ones who should be the leaders. They're the ones who should be the countercultural ones setting the tone for their ear group, for their classmates. I challenge them to get out there and be out and proud for Jesus. Guess what? Your children love to be given a slogan to march under. And what better banner to march under than those of our God, the banner of our God? It almost takes you back to the Puritans, isn't it, you want to be your children marching under the banner. Because the world today tells them different. Challenge your children to be the ones who set the agenda for their friends. Challenge your children to be the ones who say, yes, I have a girl or a boy whom I'm really keen on, but no, I will not have sex with them because I honor that person. I honor this girl I am with. One day, she may be my wife or she may be somebody else's wife, but I honor her. I will not use or abuse her. That is what love means to me. Where do they learn that? They learn it from watching you and how you love each other, how your sacrificial love as mom, dad, or as a church, how you role model it. They learn it, remember, caught and taught. Because the results we see in the world today are horrible. Chlamydia is a sexually transmitted disease. The rates are going up. They see the green line, which is the rate for 15 to 19-year-olds. It's infectious, sexually infectious disease that is infection that is particularly frightening because it can result in long-term infertility, especially in girls. So it's, it's a dangerous one to have. Condoms don't protect against all sexually transmitted infections. Do not hear this in class. You need to tell them this. You need to be able to talk. You can get herpes and warts and pubic lice. I said this in a, one of the school talks I did. And then one of the girls puts up her hand and says, but we shave our pubes, so we won't get pubic lice, will we? You know, so I said, yeah, you know, because this practice of shaving, pubic lice are now on the endangered species. And there's a dark side to teenagers. These are some recent statistics. While not wanting to scare you, I think we need to be aware of this. Ten to eight to ten percent of teenagers aged 15 to 16 give a history of some form of self-harm, mainly more girls more than boys. Every girls' school I speak in, a counselor would say that self-harm is the commonest thing that they see in young girls. Over 25 percent of teens report binge drinking at least once a month, girls and boys. Over 40% of girls and a fifth of boys are dissatisfied with body image. Very recent statistics. 28% or so of our children have major depressive illness by 19. This is the pressure your children are under. And about fifth of the children have been cyber bullied. Your children are vulnerable. This is a very vulnerable age. And so I want to spend just a few minutes talking to you about why this vulnerability, why this is there, why are your kids so vulnerable. It comes back to the fact that the teen brain is a work in progress. I'll be very brief here again. If you want more information, feel free to email me. See, we know now, which we didn't know when I was in medical school, that the deep emotional part of the brain, that part of the brain that is involved in kids' search for identity, the independence, the swinging emotional states, 
the desire for novel activities and risk-taking, the need for short-term rewards. Don't tell me not to do something because 20 years hence I'll regret it. I want the fun now. All that bit, that emotional, for those of you biologists, like limbic system, that area, starts maturing in early puberty. Remember puberty age dropping. Now, the part of the brain that is involved in control and executive functions of judgment and emotional regulation, the part here we call the frontal parietal cortex, doesn't mature till the 20s. So we've got a disjunction here. Emotional, sexual brain, control brain. And you think, why did God do that? I think God had a purpose. He did that and then he said, yeah, I'll give them an external control system. And I'm going to call that parents. So you see, you become the external control system for your children. You have a very, very important role. Because during this time of development, when the nerves are being, the nerve connections are being reformed and, you know, like what we call a process called pruning. There's a use it or lose it happening there. Everything that goes in, whatever goes in, will influence what's happening in the brain. You know, you think of 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4, you know, whatever is pure, whatever is good, feed yourself on that, feed your brains on that. Like, he sure knew about teen brain development. You know, what you put in, what the kids put into their brain is so important in that teen age. Which is why this cyber world that our teens and our preteens live in is so influential on brain development. So I will give you just very quickly a little bit about the cyber world. The most important, one of the most important things is what we call cyber identity. How significant is your young teenager's virtual profile? Teenagers today post what are called selfies. Anyone here who doesn't know what a selfie is? This is where young people take pictures of themselves and post it on their phone or on the internet. And if you look at the kind of selfies that are posted, it's invariably something that shows them off as sexual. It's more mainly girls who do selfies, although apparently now there are more and more boys who won't show off their six-pack. But the girls, now I have not pouted ever, but they pout and then they show off their bodies in these selfies. So you can imagine how sensual those pictures are. Now, where is your, your child's identity? A teenager, by the time they get to the being a teenager, needs to have already developed an identity, that identity in Christ. Otherwise, the world will tell them that it is their virtual profile. Otherwise, it is about looking like the movie star or some kind of music video star pop icon who is surgically augmented and with a low fabric to flesh wardrobe ratio. And that is what should be their identity. Identity. Cyber intimacy. You ask young people, would you rather ring up someone and ask them to meet you for a cappuccino or would you rather just sext them? They all look at me like, you out of your head, why would we want to meet for a cappuccino? There's research that tells us that young people today find it difficult to actually relate, to sort of read people's facial expressions, because guess what? Many, most of us don't look like an emoticon. So if you're only uh, communicating with emoticons, you don't read expressions. Cyber bias, almost 100% of young people today would give some incident they've heard of where someone has been bullied on a computer, on some kind of internet or Facebook. Sad, but that's the reality. See, those days bullying was in, the, in school, you came home, you were safe. Not any longer. It's a big area there. 
cybersex, the kind of dangerous liaisons, you know, you tell them, but sexting, sending explicit pictures, which is like sending selfies, is something, again, today's young people just don't think as anything that's very significant. And why is that? We come to the last one, cyber porn. You know, we started off with this article in Sydney Morning Herald about pornography being the sex educator of our children. It's a $97 billion global industry. Average age, as I said, first exposure about 9, 10, 11 years. It is anything printed or visual that is made sexually explicit and sexually arousing. It is not just the you know, the old thing, you know, sitting in front of the computer. That is old now. It's on the phone. It's on television. It's in erotic literature. It's in books. There are websites that have chunked up literature, written porn. So it is so ubiquitous. It is everywhere. The use of porn by boys results in the construction of gender and sexuality the pressure to gain masculine status, sexual double standards where they see girls as sluts, a narrow image of female sexuality based on what a porn star looks like. Boys will look at girls and see porn star, not a woman created in the image of God. And sadly, a tolerance for sexual violence. And in girls, girls are beginning to accept this image that for them to have power, empowerment means that they exhibit their bodies, that exhibiting your body is a way of empowerment. I talk to girls, year 10, I can't even get the message across that, you know, they tell me, oh, we live in a sexualized world, so we get the power back by putting pictures of ourselves. I tell them, so you want to put a picture of yourself in a sexual position, yes, and that gives you power, yes. So you put that picture and boys are watching and masturbating to it, yes. It, we've accepted Satan's lie. Our young people, ladies and gentlemen, this is your daughters out there. You have to take it back. We will lose our children otherwise. Finally, I want to just spend a few minutes with you just telling you that today's kids live in a very gender-variant world. It's a world which says anything goes when it comes to gender. Now, I was with a group of year 10 students on Wednesday, and they knew what GLBTQIA was. I said each alphabet and every one of the 200 repeated after me. Do you want me to do a test with you too? G's, L, B, very good. T, oh you are good. Q, very good. Queer or questioning. I, intersex. Intersex, uh, sorry, somebody was about to say it. Intersex, and I'll tell you in a minute. And A, thank you. You are good. I'll give you a hundred out of hundred. I told the kids that I'm doing it with parents and they won't get a hundred. I'll have to withdraw that. You see, gender is complex. And here, this is a whole talk which I'm going to give you in one minute. And that is, we have biological sex. That is, what are your genitals and your gonads, testes, ovary, or chromosomes? And when things go wrong there, we have ambiguous genitalia or intersex. There is gender role, which is how do you behave. That's the one that's most culturally influenced and very ambiguous today. You know, it's like people say, we don't want to bring up our children to be girls or boys. We want them to just be, you know, whoever they are. We call it, they call it pansexual. They can be whoever they are. We know biologically that that doesn't happen. And sexual roles we know as Bible people, as the evangelical people who believe the Bible that God gives us, roles that are complementarian, that are complementary, 
special, different, but made for each other, man and woman. That gender identity, which is who are you? Are you a male or a female? Walk up to one of you and say, are you a male or a female? You will very surely tell me, I am a male or I am a female. This is set when you are about two and a half years or three years. Tried it on my son when he was two and a half. Said, can I dress you in little pink dresses? And put a pink bow in. I am a boy. Um, maybe that's why he ended up as a Presbyterian minister and single, but... Poor darling, your mother is a sexologist, what do you expect? And sexual, that's identity, that is who am I? Orientation is are you attracted to a male or a female? It is important for your children to understand this. You see, because they need to know, and I said this earlier, that having a best friend, a bestie of the same sex, even having a crush on another person of the same sex does not make them a lesbian or a gay. Does not make them a homosexual. It is a part of friendship. It's a David and Jonathan friendship. You see, we, we have lost it. Our young people have lost that ability to form close, intimate, non-sexual friendships. We have to role model it to them that it is okay to be friends with someone and it not be sexual. They need to know that because they're not interested in having sex doesn't make them a homosexual. Your children, when they say we are not going to have sexual intercourse or sexual activity, are going to be faced with being told then you must be a homosexual. They're going to be told that. You better get them ready for it because their friends will say, you know, I've talked to a young lady, a girl, who said she told a boy, I'm not going to give you oral sex, not going to have sex with you. The next time she said, he says, then you must be a lesbian and puts it up on Facebook. You know, this is, this is the world our kids are living in. This is the way they are, and you need to get them the strength you give them when they are developing will be the strength that will hold them in the hard times when they are faced with this kind of thing from their friends and from the world. So you, as Christian parents, you know, even if there is some sexual exploration, it's exploration. When we look at the statistics and they ask, you know, what is the proportion of sexual attraction, people with sexual attraction, 2 to 3%. Then you ask what's the proportion of people who have had any sexual experience, behavior, it's much higher. A lot of people will, and the teen years, experiment, and today's culture really pushes that. Experiment. Find out who you are. How do you know whether you're a lesbian unless you've tried it? Get your children ready for it. Talk to your teens. Lay that firm foundation. Be a role model. Be involved parents. Be a parent first, then a friend. Your children have over a thousand first Facebook friends. They can do without one more, but they have only two parents. Sometimes if you're a single parent, one parent, but then you will have aunties and uncles in the church. They need male-female role model. Walk the walk and talk the talk. Remember, sex education is caught and taught. In the teen years, please be clear, consistent about dating, boundaries, safety, negotiate penalties and enforce them. Be there and be aware. Watch for changes in attitudes and behavior. Watch because you will be the one who will notice whether there is some bullying or something happening in their life. And be a parent they can come to. And remember what we talked before. If something goes wrong, you are the one who will be there to pick up the pieces. And we worship a God of forgiveness and redemption. So never let your child feel that, you know, if something happens, even if they Get on a slippery slope and have sex. They are not broken. They are not irrevocably 
spoiled for life. We must be careful that we have children understand that even when something goes wrong, as Christians we come back, we are redeemed, we are saved. It's like St. Paul said, you know, to the people in Corinth, you know, that's what you were. Come back and be one of us, be a Christian. Whatever happens, you will always be a parent. So, you know, as he says, sit down, son, it's time we had that little man talk about the birds and the bees. Don't put it off. Do it now. Have a dinner table conversation today, you know. I was with a great opening. I was, you know, remember I went for a talk this morning? You know, there was this old woman from Sri Lanka who calls herself a sexologist. She said, we've got to talk about sex tonight at dinner. So we're going to talk about sex at dinner. And I brought you a book that we can start reading and talking about. So anyway, that's my contact. So feel free to ring, uh, to contact me. You all also got it on your handout there. So feel free to contact me if you have any questions about anything that we have talked. That's all we have, I'm going to talk to you about. Do we have question time or how are we going from here? Okay. Um, we have got time for some questions. 